Let's go to the Word of God tonight, shall we? We've got a lot to learn and what God's saying to us through all of this. And I want to talk to you. We're in Acts chapter 16, the second half of that chapter. And we're going to look at sovereign authority, the sovereign authority of God. Amen. This, we are going to see in this story, the power of God's authority over all other realms and structures of authority. And you've got to hold on to it, and you've got to walk through it to see the authority of God. We're going to start at chapter 16, verse 16. Luke is telling about the story now. He says, as we were going to the place of prayer. How many of you know that's where things change? you got to go to the place of prayer. you got to get into the place where you're in the throne room of God and the politics of the world get changed through the throne room of God. The sickness changes by the throne room of God. Authority structures change because you're in the throne room of God, the authority of God. And that's where the church belongs, in the prayer room. You know, really the church doesn't... It's good for us to gather but it's better for us to gather in the throne room of God. And you don't need to come on a Wednesday or a Sunday for that. It's 24-7 availability. That's where the power structure of the church comes from. Not the size of our budgets or the size of our buildings, but entering into the throne room of God where our high priest abides. We're going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. The first power structure that Paul faces in this country and in this situation is the demonic realm. The spirit of divination in the Greek is the spirit of Pythonus. This woman had a spirit of Python. I don't know if any of you have heard of a Python spirit. It is a spirit that chokes and cuts off and imitates the things of the spirit of God. It wants to choke the things of God and the free movement of the Spirit of God. See, they were going out preaching the gospel led by the Holy Spirit, and this python spirit wanted to choke that off and associate it with divination. Okay? So it wanted to create a false impression. She said, now, what did she, what she said, Wednesday nights we have open discussion. So did she say, uh, what she said about them, was it true? was true, wasn't it? But she did one thing subtle. That spirit in her did one thing subtle. Said the Most High God. Christians reading that now go, yeah, the Most High God. But back in that place, in that pagan culture, she didn't say under the authority of Jesus or the authority of Yahweh. She used a generic word for God. So the people hearing it would have put Zeus in that place, would have put Baal in that place, just saying these guys are coming in the authority of God. What God? Just God. And so she was saying something true about them, but in such a a generalized way that 
people could associate it with their religion. Christianity can't be associated with anything else. Jesus said he's the only way to the Father. There's only one way to the Father. There's only one name by which men may be saved. What name? Jesus. It's not good enough to say, do you know God? Everybody's got a God, right? So the Python spirit wants to choke off the move of the Holy Ghost. The Python spirit is is an anti-Christ spirit. And it's a spirit of divination. It imitates what God does. God is the one who knows the beginning from the end. And this one was a fortune-telling divination. So people would go to her and pay cash for the latest horoscope, for the latest bit of information for tomorrow, or should I invest in this or that, okay? And that's divination, and that's a sin. Now it says Paul finally got tired of her. So how long did this go on? Huh? Many days, right? So why did he tolerate it? Okay, so we've, we've pieced something together here. You said timing, the timing in the Spirit. He said he's, he's patient to draw the people, that he, these pagan people that are followers of... See, this spirit of divination was over the entire region. They were making a lot of money. And so this spirit of divination was over the city. And so Paul wants to break into that city and he wants to break through that spirit of divination with the reality of the true spirit of God. So he's waiting for the crowds to gather and he's waiting for the timing to do this. I I think by the expression of Paul, I, I, I don't think Paul was a novice in the sense of that. I think he understood the authority he was working with. All right, so the time comes, he just turns around and who did he speak to? The demon. Why didn't he say, girl, you are driving me nuts. Get out of here. You're out of order. Go back from where you came from. Yeah, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. That girl needed to get saved. She's bound by a demon. He spoke to the demon. What did he say to that spirit? Let's see. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. So Paul understood whose authority he spoke in. So when you fight against demonics and you're fighting in spiritual warfare, you say, I'm Tim Tyler and I say to you, demon. <laughs> right? That's what the, yeah. <laughs> whose authority are we speaking in? Jesus' authority. Right? Even Michael the archangel said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Right? So our authority is in Christ Jesus. We have his full authority, but let's just remember to, to be hidden in it and to stay shielded in the authority of Jesus Christ. Can Jesus cast out demons? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he defeated them at the cross, didn't he? They're done. Okay, because what is the result? The demon left, and let's go on. There's now another power struggle. He, he, he attacked. This is a good way for you to go into evangelism. This is a good way for us to go into any area of ministry during your day and so forth. You start in the heavenlies. 
You start in the authorities of who you are in Christ and you speak against the demonic forces of wherever you're going. You might have to go talk to somebody. You've got to go talk to Aunt Betty because she uh, blew up at the last Christmas party and you're worried she's going to show up again and you want to get things straight. Where do you start? In prayer. In prayer. And, and so that's where Paul started. He's going to infiltrate this city with the gospel and he's got to contend first with the demonic realm, okay? And then he's going to hit another authority. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So that's what you're saying. You are approved. <laughs> he read ahead. All right, so uh, his point is, Paul was, again, timing this out because if he attacks that demonic, it's going to have an impact into the city. And he doesn't want to cut his ministry short. So, strategy again. All right, he was, Paul and Silas were dragged in the marketplace before the rulers, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Now you've got the city official. First you have the business owners ticked. Why are the business owners upset? Losing money. What's this world run on? Money, 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 money. You know that half of what we're going through right now is all about money. Pharmaceuticals, money. Politics is money. This is all money. And what did God say you can't serve? God and money. Pick one. So who's the greater authority? God. All right. Now, I find this interesting. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. What were these Romans accepting and practicing before this? Idol worship, divination, and witchcraft. And they're complaining. We liked it that way. You're trying to teach Jesus, this Jesus guy, freedom, truth. We can't accept that. That city's so bound by an antichrist spirit that it, it does not want them to preach this. And so it's going to come because it's affecting their industry, their business, and the finance. Now they're calling in civil authorities. The crowd joined in attacking them. Crowds are fickle, aren't they? Should we be trying to win crowds? We need to be trying to win souls. Souls. All right? Individuals. Care about the individuals. The crowd joined them in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Do you see the authority structures we're going through here? Demonicus structure, money and business, now government authority. Okay? These are all authorities attacking the gospel. Has it changed? No, it hasn't. Because the demonic realm wants to run the world systems and governments and authorities through the finance and the monies. Right? I mean, does that make sense to you? 
The crowd joined in verse 23, when they had inflicted many blows upon them. Well, wait, 22. The crowd joined, attacked them. Magistrates tore their clothes off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. All right, now here's the thing with Roman authority. They beat them with rods. This was not the lashes or the whipping that the Jews would do. Jewish law allowed you to whip people. Um, typical Roman law for whipping was 40 lashes. The Jews would stop at 39. Why? They didn't want to break the rule. They, they may have miscounted. Jews were always very careful. We don't want to break the law. We don't want to get it wrong. We'll count to 39. A little bit of mercy there. And, and plus, we don't want to offend God and go over the count. But this is not about whipping. This is not about lashes. This is rods and beating. So with rods, there was no limit. Romans would beat them and flog them with rods on every part of their body. Another way they flogged them would be to strap their legs together, turn them upside down, and beat the bottom of their feet. So here's Paul and Silas yet again getting beaten for the gospel. The affliction. This is why we read in Scripture many times through the Apostle Paul, he talks about the sufferings of Jesus Christ. He talks about the afflictions of the gospel. This man experienced it. Remember just a couple weeks ago as we were reading, he was stoned to the place where they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. Now he's being beaten. Now you have welts, you have bruising, you have broken ribs, you have blood, your feet are getting smashed, you can hardly walk. All for the gospel. Who's ready to quit? <laughs> Want to quit? It's too much. Tag me out. I'm done. Forget about it. But Paul said, what else can I do? What else am I to do? I know this truth. Here's the thing. He's driven by the fact that every human being is going to hell. Are we driven that much? Do we really believe that people who do not know Jesus Christ are going into eternal damnation. This man was so convinced he was willing to be beaten and killed. So I'm going to turn up the heat on all of us. Right? We're inconvenienced? You want me to talk to someone? What if they say something nasty to me? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean... Put it in comparison. What if they don't like me? They already don't like you. Get over it. Love them like Jesus loves them. We have to, we got to get better at this. We've got to get better at sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please, please, don't you think? We've turned the gospel into something that benefits us. We take it that God is going to supply all my needs according to my interests. So we've got to do better. Now he's being beaten and thrown into prison. Having received this order, they put him into the inner prison. What's the difference between an innie and an outie? <laughs> 
What's that? Windows and no windows. So he's being thrown into the inner jail. All right, so to get into the inner jail, you, you turn on the lights. Oh, wait a minute. There are no lights. You got to get down past the hallway where the, the toilet and the, and the bathrooms are and the saunas. No, this is the inner jail. So this is in some cave somewhere in the depths of total darkness that obviously the rats and the cockroaches and the urine and the feces is just in that room smelling and stinking. You've been beaten. Did they put clothes and bandages on them? No. You're bleeding, you're bloody, you're bruised. Your eyes probably look like Rocky II in the fight where they're just shut, right? I mean, and they're thrown into this prison and they're put in, their feet, they're put in chains and their feet are in stocks. Do you know what stocks are? Shackles. It's, it's like a wooden structure with two holes. You put your feet through it and the top wooden part comes down. You can't move. So you can't stand up if you have to go to the bathroom, you're there. <laughs> and you're in pain, you're suffering, and you're in complete darkness. How, how many people here have ever been in severe pain? How many of you in that pain still had the presence of the Lord? Now, I'm thinking Silas was a younger man than Paul, probably looking to Paul for strength. Paul's been through this before. All right, this is where the difference comes out between believers and non-believers. Non-believers would curse God. Non-believers are angry. They're upset. They're broken. They're, they're swearing and cursing the people that hurt them and all that kind of stuff. Something happens with the believer. Something kicks in with the believer. It's the Holy Spirit of God that begins to meet with you in your suffering and in your pain and fellowships with you there. And we begin to try to discern what he's saying and who he is. Does that make sense? All right. So let's go on. I think that's what happened. Verse 25, about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. All right, around midnight. I wonder why midnight. I wonder what time of the day this happened. Five or six hours later, after they got thrown in there, they're, you know, they're kind of gathering their, their thoughts, they're whimpering, they're painful, they're thinking through what's going on, and then all of a sudden, you know, Either Paul or Silas or one of them starts to praise God. Hallelujah. Just takes, how about, how about, how many of you are so in love with Jesus just to hear one other person say hallelujah, you're in it, you're in on it, right? How many of you perk up when you're at a store and someone says, well, God bless you, and it's just, I'm on that, I'm on that. I remember being at Walmart and this, there was this girl uh, amazing voice. She was singing in the, in the aisleway, just singing some praise song. 
I had to get down to that aisle and see what was going on. I was like, wow, praise God. I said, I want to join this revival. And she, praise God, hallelujah, started singing. You want to get in on that because the Spirit, so I'm thinking Paul just whispered a song or something, and Silas starts to join in, and when two are gathered, right, the Spirit of God's flowing, and, the, and what happens to the rest of the prisoners? They're hearing, they're listening. I'm sure they're singing songs about Jesus being the Son of God who died for our sins, and they're probably singing the gospel message. You got an audience there, captive audience, <laughs> singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening. So now they go back to recognizing the true authority over their lives. It's not the demons that were hounding them. It's not the money changers that turned them in. It's not the government that beat them. They're going to their authority and they're praising God around his throne. And that shifts everything. In fact, it shifts everything so much that what happens next? Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's bonds were unfastened. What kind of earthquake does that? <laughs> a God quake, which is a divine one. I mean, it's shaken. The doors fall off their hinges, but not just the doors off their hinges, but the shackles off their arms. Now that's beyond earthquake status. That's divine. That's, yeah, angels were sent to go unlock every one of those. All because of what? Praise. Which we forget to do. It's all about exalting Jesus Christ. No matter what the situation is, I will praise the Lord. No matter how much I am suffering, I will praise the Lord. We're coming up to Thanksgiving next Thursday to have a grateful heart in every situation. Has anybody here been in a place of suffering and yet you were still able to praise God? Yeah, and that's that's to know how to appeal to a higher authority than any sickness, disease, or any problem you're in is to worship. It's to worship. It changes the atmosphere. It changes your identity and your soul. It changes everything. Everything. He goes on. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he, with, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Why would you do that? All right. For the, his responsibility for the jailer to lose all the prisoners means instant death. But why kill yourself if they're going to kill you? It's a lot easier than getting beat and humiliated and like your fingernails torn off and everything else. I'm just going to get rid of this. Forget it. Okay. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We're all here. Now, wait a minute. What part of the jail was he in? 
the innest further part, where's the jailer? In his office, up front. How did Paul know this? Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit. How did he know this jailer got up, grabbed the sword, and is ready to do Harry Carry? Isn't that what you call that? Okay. Holy Spirit, right on time. Right on time. How many of you have heard the voice of the Lord? I would say everybody in here has, but you're not paying attention to realize it is the Lord. Act upon it. Act upon it. Act upon it. The worst thing you could do is be wrong. No, it's not the worst thing. It's not. So what if you're wrong? Learn to act upon the voice of the Lord. Okay? And, and, and get it. Uh, so he said, we're all in there. And the jailer called for lights. Why? So he could see it's dark in there. And he rushed in, trembling with fear, he fell down in front of Paul and Silas. Right? These dudes are crazy. And he cries out and he says, what must I do to be saved? It is awesome. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now there's a verse Paul writes about this and he says concerning slaves and free men, he says that when a, those who are servants and slaves in this culture, once they get saved, they're the Lord's freed man. And those people who are free become the Lord's slaves. So either way, we serve the Lord, but serving the Lord makes us freer than we've ever been. The, the Lord says that in the last days, all things that can be shaken will be shaken. But the things that can't be shaken will remain. What's not supposed to be shaken? Us. Okay, so we're back to the realm of spiritual warfare. So here they are. They go to prayer. They go into the throne room. They're worshiping God. Despite what happened to them, they're worshiping God. What was their heart's desire? To save souls. And all of a sudden, they're praying, hallelujah, praise Jesus. Boom! Crackle, boom, wow. Dust, everything. The ground shakes. There's an earthquake in that city because God's moving. Right. They just, this thing, you messed with the wrong people. You know, maybe that's why the time stamp on this just about midnight, to relate the same day that we locked them guys up, this earthquake came. Yeah, that's good. Because the minute it's 12.01, it's a new day. It's a new day. The earthquakes. Now, you mentioned, uh, she mentioned the darkness where Jesus was on the cross. It became dark, didn't it? And was there an earthquake then? Yes. Yeah. So, we're not, I'm not saying that whenever you go through darkness, expect an earthquake. <laughs> but, there, yeah, there's a shaking. It might be an earthquake in you. There might be a dynamic shift somewhere. But things are happening in the heavenlies to the earth, right? And so, that took place. 
And the, gar- the, the jailer runs in and says, what must I do to be saved? Now, let me ask you a question about this for discussion. Did he understand soteriology or the theology of being saved? Did he understand that I need Jesus? Because the word for saved, sozo, also means delivered. What must I do to be delivered? So we read it as a 21st century Christian. What must I do to be saved? Well, repeat this prayer after me. Was he maybe saying, what do I need to do to be delivered from this situation? I'm going to be killed. You guys have earthquakes and you're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. How do you get me out of this situation? And they say, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's two theories on it. One is that it's definitely a gospel sense of what must I do to be saved. But I tend to lean towards the other one. How am I going to get out of this mess? Because whether he was listening, he could have been listening to them preaching in the city. You know, repent and be saved and this and that. So he, he, he could have. And that's what he meant. I'm tending to think, this, the, this is out of control. I'm going to be killed. How do I get delivered? What must I do to be delivered? I don't want to be tortured and all this. Yeah. But it's a bigger question. Many people have an immediate need, but they have an ultimate need. Okay? The lost world has an immediate need. How do I get rid of crack? How do I get out of this bad marriage? How do I not feel guilty about what I did yesterday? That's their immediate need. What is the ultimate need of every one of them? Jesus. It's the answer for both. I remember witnessing to a heroin addict in Detroit. We did an outreach, and, and he said, I, I can't come to Jesus. I'm a heroin addict, and i got to get clean first. I said, you, you can't do this on your own. Come as you are, and he'll deliver you. So the ultimate is first Jesus. Whatever the immediate need is, tell him Jesus, because it's the ultimate answer. Does that make sense? Amen. So he says, now what about this? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. There's your question. There have been pastors, preachers that have taught that if you get saved, it's an automatic promise based on this verse, everyone in your household will get saved. Can you read that into that verse? You can read into it. Is it true? Why is it not true? And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Confidence was in what? The word. Preaching the word. Could anyone in his house have rejected it? Because free will is the issue here. Just because you're saved doesn't mean your children are going to be saved. Or your spouse is going to be saved. Yeah, Jen. Paul writes that the household is sanctified by the believing uh, spouse, okay? Now, what he means by sanctified is that the presence of that believing, it doesn't mean everybody in the house is saved based on their salvation. It means that the presence of the Lord and his protection over that household is because there's a believer in that house. But they may still end up going to hell because they didn't accept Christ. This is huge for parents, Too many times parents think, well, I raised them up as a Christian, but you know what? 
they have their free will to choose if they've accepted Christ or not. We put them through Christian school, we took them to church, and they didn't accept Christ. They don't, you're not born a Christian until you're born again by your surrender to the Lord, right? All right, but they all heard the word of the Lord, they all felt the earthquake, they all saw the witness, and they received the Lord. Now, this is interesting, and he, the jailer, took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. But what's interesting about that is, first, they all got preached the gospel. So, did he take them out of the stocks and chains? I don't know. (laughs) Oh, they were already freed. Good point. They were already freed. So here Paul and Silas, still half naked, bloody and beating, preach the word of God to the jailer in his household. Wow, no concern for themselves. I'm a little hungry, this hurts, could you take this piece of wood out of my back? They're preaching, again, the dynamic of what is more important, the authority of the word of God. They preach to the guy. He says, yes, yes, yes. And he accepts Christ. His whole household accepts Christ. Then they say, come on, let's wash these guys up. And, and while he's washing them in the water, I'm figuring that Paul's probably preaching to him about being washed and renewed through baptism. And he says, well, then do it to me. So they get baptized, probably hurt, oh, <laughs> baptizing them. Then he brought them up into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. Now we're singing again. Singing again. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. And Paul said to them, They've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? I don't think so. No, let them come themselves and take us out. That's attitude. (laughs) He's something else, isn't he? He's a Roman citizen. He, he wants them to understand what they did. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard what, uh, that they were Roman citizens. Why are they afraid? They have rights as Roman citizens. They just beat Roman citizens without a fair trial. They thought they were just Jews. They were Roman citizens too. Now they're in trouble. So they came and apologized. What happened to the power structures? All the power structures changed. That's what the gospel does. Amen? Amen. It changed the heavenlies over that city. It changed the magistrates. changed the business owners. They took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison, visited Lydia, went to her house, and when they had seen the brothers... They encouraged them, then they went. First, we have to take care of the church, and we'll see you around. That's awesome, isn't it?
Yeah, here are the ones that are beaten. Band, why don't you come on up? Here's the ones that were beaten, flogged, and they're doing the encouraging to the body of Christ, to those who got saved in that city, and to encourage them that things can change. God had a plan to, to meet that jailer and to have, have, have an impact somehow on that city. Are, are you actually saying that like God has a plan for our lives <laughs> and where we go and what happens to us, even if we suffer and even if we are in darkness, even if we're abused? Yeah, God has a plan for all of us. Amen. That's why I want to close tonight worshiping. Amen. It's so key that we begin to understand what worship does. Through the story tonight, it shifts authority structures. And that's what I want to sing because I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you feel beaten, bruised, if some power, a structure, or authority has just clamped you in. Praise and worship can change the structures of your life. And we need to continue to go into the throne room and be the people of God. So let's stand together, shall we?